what's your name? I'm Samantha Broomfield. I live on 1019 Highmont. I'm down here at the protest, and they started throwing tear gas and shooting rubber bullets at all the protesters, telling us to go home, and we live here. They need to go home. We live here. We looking for justice. Where's the justice for this boy's death? That's all we asking for. Why are they shooting at us in our own neighborhood? What, what happened? You, 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 I you don't get with something. Yes, a rubber bullet. We they just keep telling us to go home, go home, and we live hurt. This is our home. Can you show me where you got hit with the bullet? It, it's on my inner thigh, and I kind of prefer not to. Okay. All right. Well, you doing okay? Yeah, I, I'm fine. It's just a rubber bullet. I just don't understand why we being shot at. Why they want us to go home? They want us to forget about what's going on. To do what then happen? We not gonna forget. We gonna be out here every day. I hope they got a lot of rubber bullets. Hello, thanks for listening. We are On Resistance Radio, a horizontal collective determined to empower resistance against all forms of oppression. This is a special report and discussion with respect and support for the continued uprising in Ferguson, Missouri, after the police execution of Michael Brown and normalized state violence of the genocide against black communities nationwide. We have been on break and will be back in October, but for past shows, please check out soundcloud.com on resistance. My name is Jay Ray, and I'll be loosely facilitating the show today. Comrades and collaborators, please introduce yourself and perhaps include some initial thoughts on the execution and uprising to get the conversation flowing. Hey, what's going on? My name is Fooney. Um, One thing I want to share is uh, the youth on the streets of Ferguson are courageous. Uh, These youth, my peers, are today's freedom fighters in America, and it is exciting to be alive at this time. Much respect. Uh, to those youth. Hi, this is X. I guess to comment, I was I was really wa- actually wanting to go to the there's this Black Lives Matters ride and um, they were going to St. Louis. I was wanting to go. I felt this really strong pull to go out there. I have family out there. I used to get pickles from my uncle who lives out in St. Louis in like one of the more suburban areas. And um, I was just wanting to go, but I had other things that I said I would be doing out here as well as trying to agitate for much needed resistance on the streets out here considering Los Angeles and Los Angeles Police Department. They just continuously execute people almost every day, almost every single day now. Hello, this is Bobby. Solidarity with all the names of people who have been killed by the police and white supremacy that we'll never know. That never become a name or stories because since the existence of police, they have been murdering black people. That was what their creation was to do, was they were originally slave catchers. When it comes to the institution of the police, there is no reform, there is no change. There is only one thing we can do, and that is abolish it. In the past few weeks just to report back on what's been happening in Los Angeles. I guess to catch people up to speed about what's happening, Mike Brown, a young black, what would have been a college student, was shot by the police for pretty much walking in the middle of the street. And he held up his hands and he said, don't shoot. You know, I don't have a gun, not armed. He was shot and he started running. And yeah, the reaction in Ferguson was an uprising, was basically an insurrection that has lasted for weeks now. And in Los Angeles, people have tried to 
to put together kind of solidarity marches and some actions in regard to Izel Ford. And recently, there have been some kind of public forums, and it's interesting conversations about reforming the police and policy reform and these kind of initiatives that people need to take forward. And there was no accountability, you know, when we went to this forum. I, I had, <laughs> I went to a forum because one of my comrades was like, let's just go. And I knew I was going to get really upset. And I, I was extremely upset. Everyone was upset when we went because the police were so flippant. And in the end, one of the people on the police side that was mediating the conversation was just like, okay, well, it's up to you all. It's up. It's really up to this, this community here. And people started booing because they were like, what? How is it up to us? You're killing us. You're killing us. And he was just like, yeah, it's up to you all. You should just vote for the right people in office. This wouldn't be happening if the right people were directing. And it's like, where is the actual accountability? And I was like, you know what, everyone, he's right. He is so right. It is up to our community. It is up to us to organize each other to make sure that we kind of oversee our com what's happening in our communities and that, you know, the people who aren't from our communities aren't, you know, dictating and exploiting and all that. And I was like, yeah, abolish the police. Like, it should be up to us. Let's do it. Something you said, uh, Bobby, about it not being a centralized issue is something that resonates to me. I think what's going on in Ferguson, as precious as Michael Brown's life was, is not something unusual that happens. It happens all across this country. There's a study done uh, every 28 hours, and it talks about black lives being taken on these streets every 28 hours here in America. So the thing that Ferguson did for me was it brought this conversation back to a, a, a national like debate, a national light. A lot of people are talking about it. and But I do think it's important to recognize that this happens all the time. Just two weeks ago I was walking home on Venice and Hoover and five cop cars pulled up and two officers from each car so it's 10 officers 10 guns pointed uh, directly at me and they told me to get against the gate because I fit a description and I'm just at a point where I just answer their questions and just want to get home because I don't want to get shot and I don't want to be thrown into one of their like dehumanizing cells and I'm realizing I'm desensitized to being stopped by police officers. And I think most Americans are desensitized to young black lives being like just taken, uh, specifically youth, youth lives being taken on these streets and are desensitized to seeing like hearing about young black men being killed. And one thing I also want to say is it, this is a continuation of the 19, uh, the, yeah, well, you know, the 1900s, the early 2000s of American slavery and uh, the genocide that took place here and that continues to take place. If you think about Izell Ford, who's here in Los Angeles. You have Oscar Grant, who was in the Bay Area. That was in 2009. Sean Bell, uh, NYPD. He was shot 50 times. That was in New York. Um, and like the list goes on. In 1994, you had Nicholas Hayward, who was shot by like public housing officers. So this continues, and you can I can continue to like name names from each era. There was a study done by the Stolen Lives Project, and there were 2,000 cases that could be verified from 1990 to 1999 of police shootings of Black lives. So it is a decentralized issue, and this is not just a fight that Ferguson is having. This is not just a fight in the Black community. This is a fight that we all should be that we all should be taken a part of because these are human beings they're being shot dead on our streets I think about like a Zell Ford action in LA and it was really frustrating for me to be there to be honest because a lot of white bodies chanting hands up don't shoot and going in front of cop cars and I just think about you talking about your story about having 10 guns by cops pointed to you and I also think about a lot of these like you know know your rights 
things that people are always like, oh, well, you know, you can question the cops and tell them, well, you know, you don't have the right to do this. And it's like the reality in America is that black people do not have rights. And and the thing about Ferguson that I feel like sometimes people do want to do, and I saw that at the action, was the erasure of the fact that, yes, this affects all humans, but this is black blood on the streets. And, and so I think this thing in the country that everyone wants to avoid is talking about race, but not just race, but white supremacy and anti-blackness. And that white supremacy is not just the people with the shaved head and not just the Klan, you know, it's the cops, it's everyone, it's us. We have internalized white supremacy as well and anti-blackness. So you see people so uncomfortable with these conversations that they're dumping buckets of ice on themselves. They're doing ice bucket challenges. Challenge you. newsfeed or on Instagram and they're doing it with their family and they don't post anything about Ferguson as if it's not even happening. They don't want to even see it because it's so scary to them. Black uprisings are scary to people and to white America and to white supremacy. I guess my take on the on the march that was in solidarity with Ezell Ford, it was it was it was very symbolic and I think that I went there to pass out literature on like people who organize against police brutality or communities who are anti-police and who who do cop watch and just things to pass out because I feel like it's it's valuable in in some regard when you know people do come together in solidarity for that moment and it is empowering when you are marching in the streets because like the streets the kind of tradition of you know this struggle but the very few people that I did hear talking about how this is we're living in white supremacy like this isn't news this isn't the current issue this has always been that's exciting when when people get together and talk about instances of getting together is, is useful I also feel that there is a lot of people and organizations in particular who, like you said, it's their job to co-opt or their job to either dissolve that kind of dissent as well as manage, manage it. There was so much managing that was happening on that march that I felt really, really like a lot of us felt really unsafe in terms of being spotlighted as people who wanted to march wildly in the streets. And then also people who were infiltrators felt like the state agents and the infiltrators at some point kind of outweighed the the people that were resisting yeah that makes me think about just like tying it back just to that there are people making money off of like all aspects of this Mm. and something that was said earlier is that black individuals in america don't we don't have rights there were some things that may have like changed on the surface when it comes up to obvious things drinking from water fountains and sitting on fronts of buses and things of that sort but if you think about not being able to be safe walking down the streets here in america without being shot you can't really have any like true freedom if you think about the making money aspect of all of these things like the prisons there are many black people who are just being shot dead on the streets and they're dying quicker than being filled into these prisons most of these prisons are like local Located what like upstate and it brings in money for like these upstate like communities because they count these individuals and in censuses. But because so many of us are being like shot dead on the street, so often I think they're trying to like uh, slow it down to be able to like funnel us into these like jail cells, like bullets, tear gas, rubber bullets, the um, tanks and machine guns and the military occupation. All of that that's in these communities are someone's getting paid for all of this. So I think that it's just important to remember that black lives in America are like commodities and they can we're only seen as like like dollar signs and how to keep this system working is just the evolution of slavery from 
uh, the uh, 1900s, 20s, um, now we're in the 21st century, and this is the evolution of what slavery is today. I would just piggyback off that because those rubber bullets are probably the same rubber bullets that are being shot in Gaza, in the West Bank. And there's this arms industry who is making money off war and who needs war to continue. And so the war always has to come home. It's interesting, too, to look at tactics. I've noticed that with all of these uprisings that happen after some police murder of someone, whether they be black or brown, you immediately start to hear people speaking on behalf of the family. Uh-huh. The family wants peace. The family will like this to happen. And in that way, that is used as a way to basically be able to control, right? Because who wants to disagree with the grieving family? I think that it's really interesting to see how their tactics, because, you know, they're watching our tactics, so we should also be watching theirs, to see how the Ferguson Police Department went from, they were, in June, they were fundraising for guns. They didn't, they were selling off Tommy guns for money so that they can buy weapons. And then two months later, they go into this militarized police force. And I think it's come out that they were trained the year before by Israel, and that Pentagon also helped give them weapons. So we're seeing the militarization of our police happening and it's for a reason and they need to keep being militarized so these arms industry can keep selling them weapons so they need to be able to have excuse and reason to use them. I think a lot of the backlash and containment efforts to manage and neutralize the outrage and the on the ground youth involvement so many people are always like oh the youth aren't involved the youth don't care about the movement the youth don't what we're seeing here is that the youth do care about the movement just not in a way that pacifies the status quo or like the social expectation of how we're supposed to petition for change so instead there's a big critique about riots and about looting as confusing the issue or disrespecting the memory of someone's lost life But what we're actually seeing is that it's the role of the media and the role of pacification that comes in to focus instead on the rioting and looting and not actually the killer's name. Or how did the police actually come in and move so that the the killer officer basically got to delete his social media accounts and move out of state to minimize the impact? So in the wake of these these this uprising and this insurrection, we're seeing a bunch of um, tactics to kind of use this as an opportunistic moment to talk about police reform or to talk about um, uh, we want police cameras, we want accountability boards, um, which just further affirms the role of the police as absolute. We're not seeing a lot of structural critique about the role of the police structurally to enforce the economic system. We're kind of just seeing that, the, oh, the police exist, we need to reform their existence, and we need to accept that black lives are just going to always be a casualty of the system, instead of looking at the system at its root and saying, like, wow, this casualty of this structure of policing and enforcement is so grave and so important, takes so much out of our communities and limits the black community from being able to thrive in a way that is thinking beyond defensiveness from getting out of prison or avoiding prison, that we're not seeing these root critiques, and we're just kind of accepting collateral damage of the system. So there's been a lot of containment strategies and neutralization efforts from the media to people who come in to support, quote unquote, who may intentionally or unintentionally serve to pacify and actually um, apologize for the actions of the youth on the ground without ever actually talking to the youth on the ground and kind of distorting uh, revolutionary energy and, and, and apologizing for it instead of going with it and encouraging it and standing behind it and saying, you know what, property actually you know, matters less than human life. Property actually is, is not a good enough reason to murder people on the street if the casualty is, is a war against black people. So what are some of the containment and co-optation strategies that we've seen on the ground and basically whatever direction you know, to continue the conversation? Um, one of them is bringing in uh, 
uh, quote, like, in quote, black leaders. Uh, mm. These, like, national black leaders that are being, like, brought in. Call them out. Um, I don't want to say Al Sharpton's name on like, <laughs> Come on. But, you know, these black leaders that come in and they tell, like, these, like, they speak to the community and tell them to, hey, you know, stay calm. Be, you know, uh, now is a time to be, like, peaceful. And you don't live there. Like, Al Sharpton does not have to live. I'm sorry, Al Sharpton. Um, <laughs> he doesn't have to, like, live in these, like, communities. Uh, Obama came out and said something recently as well. And it was, I can't find it, but it was um, on the lines of we need to, uh, like, be calm and be peaceful as well. And it was something similar to Al Sharpton. And I think it's still, it's unfair. Like, he doesn't have to live there. And he's not being consistently harassed. Him just being a black male in general is probably, you know, has his harassment. I'm sure both of them do. But coming in and speaking for this youth. And I think these older individuals need to step back. Because we have to be the ones on the street. I have to walk on these streets. There is an ageist aspect to um, racism as well. So what police officers will do to me, they will not do to someone from Al Sharpton's generation. And I think... That's one of the containment things. Uh, something else is the language they're using, like riot. And I usually like uprising. And then I know some of the comments like insurrection and things of that sort. But I think to the core and foundation of it is frustration. It's like just great frustration is of people wanting to just be, you know, comfortable and like walk down the street to get from point A to point B without being harassed by police officers, not being harassed by um, people's projections on who I am because I may have a hood on or because of the neighborhood I might be in. And I, that's also something that's really frustrating is just the language that people are using when it comes up to the black community and the way in which this frustration is something we've been feeling for generations. Excuse me. I've <laughs> uh, been feeling for generations and our we're we're cultivated in this frustration. Uh, there are young kids like toddlers that are angry. Seriously. Like there are some like toddlers that are just angry and you don't know why. And it's because just the frustration that is cultivated in my culture as a, um, a black American from Africa. I think you make a really good point about generational trauma and how that is passed down from from people to people. We experience that. We know what that is, whether all sorts of social categories that are, are passed down. But particularly when it comes to blackness, you know, you feel that. I heard about Obama addressing it, but he didn't address it as it was happening right when it happened. It was like, oh, I'm going to acknowledge Robin Williams' death. And then, and then days or maybe even a week later, then he acknowledged that there was an actual insurrection in Ferguson. And that was really upsetting to me because I was just on social media or like all media, media has this way and tendency to construct what is important and what is valuable. And then this person, Robin Williams, he dies and that's sad. I watched a lot of his movies too, but it's like there is genocide happening in Gaza. There was genocide happening here. And then people are like, I'm going to make a, a three hour marathon of Robin Williams. And it's just really frustrating because people are dying. People are dying. Like people are being killed. Their culture is being stripped of them. Ice bucket challenge. Ice bucket challenges are happening when, <laughs> you know, Gaza is just, you know, in ruin. But luckily they have a counter to that. So I do feel like there's always this 
this counter action, people are trying to counter the hegemony of, of white supremacy by saying that, nah, black lives actually do matter and trying to construct what is valuable to us because we can't we can't continue to let them construct what our values are what we mm -hmm. believe in and what we support mm -hmm. i do feel like there are some beautiful things that were happening in terms of international solidarity with gaza as well as ferguson palestinians were actually sharing tactics on how to handle tear gas with people who were living in ferguson and that's kind of speaks to the dehumanization it's like there's dehumanization happening in in Palestine and Gaza and then dehumanization happening here in the empire to speak more to co-opters Jesse Jackson went out there to ask for money for his church and it's <laughs> wow you're literally trying to co-opt this for individual gain and the the great thing about when Al Sharpton went there um, I'm not gonna apologize but he actually <laughs> was an informant for the FBI and people were calling him out on the streets about that they were like oh, yeah they were <laughs> yeah. like yo like, why are you here? Aren't you an informant for the FBI? He was called out and actually shouted, shouted out away from certain, you certain don't areas. Live there. Right? And Bye. you don't live there too. Mm. <laughs> I just think that the great thing about the Tigras, the thing they didn't expect was, yeah, now you have this stronger solidarity amongst the black community here and those in Gaza. And, and so I think that was a great thing to happen out of this. Also, I think black solidarity is stronger too, you know? You just feel it. White supremacy effed up. And we are strong people, and this only makes us stronger. And there will be more than one Ferguson. People keep saying, don't forget Ferguson. Oh, no, no. <laughs> don't forget us. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in terms of the youth basically being engaged in urban warfare with the police, not out of choice, but out of self-defense, they're dealing with people, constant fear of execution, but also dealing with police obstruction, trying to disperse their protest, dealing with rubber bullets, dealing with police violence and brutality, and psychological warfare designed to basically make people afraid to even come out of their house. And so what the media does is it completely doesn't cover any of that, but it will give time to speak to, to people who are considered leaders and what the youth battle overnight for hours and hours and hours in trying to remain in the street, not even to do anything aggressively, but to just stay there and not be dispersed, that gets apologized for and erased within a couple moments of someone speaking uh, to the media on their behalf. And so just real quick, in terms of media containment, I was listening to a radio show that was interviewing some local coverage, some local reporters from Ferguson who were basically critiquing the national media for coming into their community and distorting the message and, and inciting the message when they want it to just calm down. And they're saying, well, the national media gets to go home and we live here. And then when I got home, I actually heard a, another take on that from people who were residents of Ferguson basically saying the same thing about the local media. You know, the local media, they're going to go home, they're going to leave, but we we have social media. And this is, this is a voice that they've discovered and this is a voice that is entirely our own. So we really need to look at the only reason the local media and the national media are sensationalizing and capitalizing and controlling and containing the message is because people were out on the streets and people were out on the streets firsthand seeing what was happening uh -huh. and taking to the social media and reporting it themselves. So mm -hmm. really the we're seeing the decentralization of the media to support uprisings and then we're seeing the response of local and national media kind of feuding a little bit in terms of how to control the message. And so we really just need to support, you know, on the ground streaming. And that's not by going into that community and doing it for people. That's by, you know, finding ways to empower communities to do that themselves, which Ferguson was doing since day one. Yeah. And questioning and questioning 
what you get from like these the national media and even the local media and making sure that you're having a healthy balance. One more thing I want to say is about the these terms like that the media is putting on like riot. You should under I think the most important thing is understanding. Understanding why like these people are on the street, why understanding why this black rage is coming to the front door of white supremacy, understanding that it's self-defense that is being taken out on these streets. And from that understanding, I think that more solidarity can be built. But if you don't understand why these people are out on the streets and you're just negating it by saying it's a riot, we're going to have like trouble. It's going to be problems. Yeah, I feel like the media as an institution is being confronted with this predicament of people decentralizing information. And now they are about to be rendered irrelevant. I mean, look at the police as well. I mean, people have been organizing to delegitimize the police for hundreds of years, and now they're just like killing, executing people left and right. They have been, they always have been. I feel like the the media is reporting on it because like Jay Ray said, that people are reporting it themselves. With media coverage of, of all of these things, it's helpful for them to actually report on it, but then pacify it, spin it their own way give the mic to certain leaders and have them help to pacify and help to quash that kind of dissent that's happening in the streets there's so much happening why aren't we revolting where we're at I really wanted to help out in St. Louis, but I also didn't know the particular agendas of certain groups or logics that they were using in terms of how they how they operate. I'm not really down with taking orders from people in terms of how I'm going to show support for Black people, my people in, in St. Louis, as well as be part of some sort of pacification that's happening. Also, another aspect in terms of media, I feel, is, well, white supremacy, it's, it's existed for for such a long time I'm having a harder time dealing with like out right outside of KPFK there's that blacklist thing and I don't I hate the word I hate blacklist like so racist that's so blatantly racist dismiss that kind of like racial very racialized implication of like oh the blacklist is, is bad and it's like I am also I don't know if anyone has seen the ads of this stalker show yeah. and I immediately I was just like this is this is social engineering like I don't want to get all conspiratorial, no, but like CBS totally. Too. Yeah, and totally. it's also come on if you look at it, it looks just like the whole tra- right. the yeah, Trayvon yeah, Martin. So it looks like Trayvon so Martin. The symbology and is the TV so, show Blackness. Is so, oh, Sorry. Blackish, right? Blackish. Yeah, uh-huh. the TV show Blackish. It's Word. like there is a lot of media agitation of racial, just racial, racializing and just racism. And it's it's just there is latent because that looked like Trayvon Martin, and I looked it up, and it has nothing mm-hmm. to do whatsoever about the trade run but it helps that criminalization Mm -hmm. all it does is it Mm -hmm. labels this hood this symbology that was created out of Trayvon Martin's killing it's like oh stalker immediately so that's that's in people's heads I think that it's interesting like in the beginning people were just talking about you know oh yeah they're just rioting and looting I think it's also important for people to stop demonizing these certain words that we know they're going to use like Mm. rioting like who cares they use rioting or looting people are going to respond to killing right the murder of someone how they want to respond lives are more important than whatever property damage might happen but that was sort of the narrative that was going on in the media and then as soon as you saw the media when they went i remember seeing a tweet where they're like they have live ammo pointed at us and there's journalists here and then once the police officers started to go hard at journalists and the media that's when you start to see media actually start to report what was going on Mm -hmm. because they were actually affected by what was happening Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until they were being tear gas and they were being shot at with rubber bullets that they actually then began to start reporting on on the ground and the militarization of the police and what was happening so i just thought that was interesting
I have a closing comment in terms of the resistance that's happening. I feel like I totally support the uprising riot insurrection that's happening in Ferguson. And I feel like there are different tactics that are being deployed in terms of like on the ground resistance movements people are pushing for policy reform and then people like in texas are they're starting to create like militias against these kinds of specific these black kinds people. of things that are yeah but like what's interesting about the aspect of what's happening now with riots and the out kind of astounding support that officer wilson is getting he has supporters and people are marching in the streets with the ferguson rebellion that's happening and when they're saying you know hands up don't shoot these white people these white supporters are saying shoot so what you have is it's spotlighting what's to come in terms of social war social war has always existed there is a spectrum that is happening in terms of like armed resistance people are talking about it more people are organizing about it more and in terms of protecting their communities it's way people can actually defend where they're living you know so they aren't killed or exploited by the police Booney? um yeah <laughs> uh yeah uh just that i am complete support of the uprising riot insurrection frustration of ferguson and the decentralization of the conversation and i guess the closing thing would be that the black community is occupied territory and that we are under um constant occupation um whether we're in our communities or walking down the street in our suburb community, we are always occupied people. Um, Solidarity Gaza. I think what you're seeing is fascism, and I think the Wilson supporters are fascist. And if you look at all the countries that are dealing with fascism, you have the Nazis, the white supremacist racism being the civil clash along with the state as a tactic to weaken the resistance. So here we are. And with a lot of the shaming that we're seeing, basically, it's really important to affirm and say we do support uprising, we do support insurrection. And if you heard this broadcast, you can't say you didn't know. So thanks for listening. Uh, on Resistance Radio, our email is onresistanceradio at gmail.com. Our SoundCloud, again, is soundcloud.com slash on-resistance. Our website is onresistanceradio.tumblr.com. And we do have a Facebook. So find us on Facebook. Check out our past shows. See you in the streets.